Welcome on into the Prowl podcast. Uh, Chris Wilcox here today, joined with Superintendent George Ryerson. Uh, George Ryerson is now into his third year as superintendent. Um, just a little back history there to start off with. But uh, George, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you became superintendent here at Carroll. I uh, First, I think I don't think it would, it would have happened possibly had I not uh, really started my public school teaching career here at Carroll. So in 1997, uh, I came here as a science teacher and taught here for four years, taught physical science, um, biology, a field biology. And uh, so I have started here. Uh, I, I had taught at private schools before that. So uh, I was happy to start my career here left uh, after being assistant principal for five years, and then I uh, filled in as principal for a year, went to Unionville Seaway Schools, was principal there, superintendent. And then uh, after 10 years there, this opened up, and I really liked the idea of coming back to where I started teaching in Cairo. So uh, I just know a lot of people here. It's been incredibly gratifying because it's been long enough that my students – are now parents, and it it is is really a joy to see, um, you know, all of those all of those students, uh, and and regardless of of what kind of student they were, everybody wants to be a great parent, and so it, it is really rewarding for me to see uh, how how much heart our parents have uh, for their kids and how much they want to have them succeed, and th- and those parents were my students, so there's there's. Something about that full circle that I really like. Right. Well, I, thank you first and foremost for doing this interview with me. I absolutely appreciate it. And just giving a little insight into the school district. So one of the questions that I do have for you is school of choice. Okay. Um, so obviously there's school of choice. Um, pretty much you can go wherever you'd like to. Uh, it's, it, it's set up that way. What is Carroll Schools doing about school of choice to draw kids in from outside of the district, and what is Carroll Schools trying to do to keep kids in the district? Well, I really, so my approach to school of choice is actually to flip that question. We need to take care of the students who come to us. So first, make sure that we're, we're really taking care of the students who, who are here in our community, those who are currently choosing to attend here. First, establish a strong foundation. And that's making sure that people are having great experiences uh, when, they, when they come through our doors uh, every day. And so, so we do that first. Then in terms of, of school of choice, we're uniquely positioned, I believe, with uh, such a diverse uh, offering of both academic, athletic, club uh, experiences for students that really we're just, that's our advantage. That's our advantage. But it's making sure those are running really well and they're giving kids great experiences and preparing them for whatever is next. Uh, or in our, for our mission, we talk about responsible citizenship in our community and the world. And you know, that's what we need to keep doing and make sure we're delivering uh, for those families and listening to our families uh, and, and meeting them part way in their kids, their children's, their kids, as, I'm sorry, their children's education. So when taking a look at uh, School of Choice, the education side of things, where does Carroll rank 
as far as in the district uh, amongst other schools? So in the county, we're in the middle of the pack, and it looks you have to look at there are lots of variables. But I know that you know the simplest thing is to just pick a score and then compare other districts. So we're in the middle of the pack. Okay. So when we take a look at uh, going beyond the school of choice aspect here, how do you? What's one thing that you could say to families that are 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 maybe looking for different options right now? If they do happen to be looking for other options, what what would you tell them? Why stay here at Carroll and why come to Carroll? Sure. We have uh, we have really strong support systems in place at our elementary schools. And I just tonight met with uh, a group of people that, uh, so there were 10 people around this table. They work, some of them across the district, others just at Macomb Elementary, to make sure our students who are coming in uh, have the supports necessary to be able to thrive when they start school because it, it's where that really sets the table up for the rest of their experience so we know that we need to pour resources into that building to make sure that kids have a strong start children know children know by first grade if they're if they're struggling and so you really have to make sure that they see themselves as being uh potentially a, a strong student and 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 being able to learn, because once they once they start to question that, it's really, it really gets tougher and tougher to bring that back. <clears throat> so we, we start with lots of support at that Macomb building, continue at Shaw, and then uh, in our middle school and high school, we really start to uh, give students, in addition to support, but we want to start to stretch students if they are really inclined to excel uh, in academics. So, uh, you know, we add... Um, some clubs along the way. One thing that we were proud to be able to do this summer, uh, in the middle school, we've offered opportunities for our students to move forward in math classes. So that by the time they get to high school, they're, they're in a position to be able to finish their high school career taking calculus. I believe strongly that a student who's going to take calculus in college has to have their first college or their first calculus experience in high school. And so it's not the only route to success, but it's it's a good path. So to do that, you have to move kids along. One way to do it is to to just say, well, you're uh, you're a good student in uh, sixth grade math. We think you could maybe pass seventh grade math and jump to eighth grade. Uh, we decided to take a little bit more challenging and rigorous path by having students complete. So during their summer, they have to complete coursework to basically complete the equivalent of that seventh grade math so they can jump to eighth grade. And then in ninth grade, they'll be ready in high school to uh, to move beyond algebra one. So, so that's just one of those things that we look at. But those are little decisions that we make when we look at the needs of our community, what the capacity of our students is, and, and try to line those things up to make it work based on based on the population of students we have. It might not always work that way because students might not come in with those but that potential. We just need to maintain enough flexibility and a willingness to serve our families and meet them halfway to be able to make those adjustments. Well, you talk about community, and uh, one of the next things I'd, I want to talk about with you is there's going to be uh, the potential of an upcoming bond proposal here uh, shortly coming up, um, and that has a lot 
of involvement with the community, obviously, right? There's there's big decisions to be made, so on and so forth. Can you tell me a little bit of uh, of some, uh, I guess I'll say, what will be on that bond proposal or what the community members would be looking at? So the uh, we did we did focus groups. So we invited people to come in, uh, 10 different subgroups of people based on kind of their experiences, whether they were a, a secondary teacher, a primary teacher, a parent of younger children, parent of older children, long-time residents, elected officials, all different groups, and uh, ran some ideas past them. Did the same thing with a survey, so I hope that people had the opportunity to complete that survey. The results of that survey uh, were compelling when it came down to choosing two options. One option that we that we considered would be uh, to pour some money into Shaw School, bring that up so that it's a, a the equivalent of a brand new building, and uh, with that historic with with the historic feel, uh, and then also we need a lot of a lot of improvements at the Macomb Building, so we looked at at those two areas primarily. Uh, to invest most of most of the money uh, because they haven't they really haven't been touched. The high school had upgrades in 2005. The middle school uh, as well in 2005, uh, less so in those buildings. To 2015, upgrades again to the middle school added a much needed auditorium. I mean that was a, that was a great decision to put that in with our arts program. It made a lot of sense. So um, so now we need to get get those elementary schools back to a. a a level where our students can come in and, and have all of the all of the resources, all the advantages that we want kids to have to be able to have a strong start and get that strong foundation. So um, <clears throat> most of the investment is in those buildings or the other option, uh, option B in the material we presented, was to put that money into expanding Macomb School, adding classrooms, adding a gymnasium, to be able to move all of our students out of this single campus on Hooper Street so that K-12, even pre-K, is here in one location. Uh, to be able to do that, one of the challenges, uh, in addition to just adding new square footage to McComb in this, on this footprint that we have, uh, is traffic flow. And so uh, one of the solutions to traffic flow is to open up the property that we have on Purdy Road uh, make this so we really have continuous property from Hooper to Purdy Road. Uh, it was it was good foresight for people to to think ahead, and our board uh, decided to purchase that many years ago uh, with with growth in mind. And this is the opportunity I think for us to open that road up, get traffic coming in from the west into the campus, and 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 then we can really look at expanding our athletics facilities because uh, we'll have room to grow. Right now, we're boxed in between the football, really between the football field parking area uh, and, and everything else. You, you can't go anywhere else. So we get doing that, moving our bus and garage, put that on Purdy Road and open up some some lanes for traffic to flow in and out of the, the campus area. So but really substantial changes, really changing, uh, I think, you know, the look and feel of the property and of the campus. And so we're excited about that. The community really supported the option of building new onto Macomb. Uh, that was, a, it was overwhelming support for that option. 
Um, and just to be clear, these are these are both the same price tag. It's same that, price tag. There's yeah. there's no difference. It's the same price tag. Correct. Yeah, yeah. To renovate that Shaw building to the point that we would we feel it needs, uh, as well as making it ADA accessible. It's multi level building without an elevator. So uh, things like that. It, it would it would require extensive investment. So uh, same price tag to do both of those. Uh, anybody that's done renovation work versus new construction probably relate. You know, the renovation work can be more expensive than than building new. So we're excited about the possibility. We think the community will be excited about it. Um, the uh, the the response regarding the likelihood of this passing at the moment that we offered that survey with really limited information out. Uh, you know, forty percent of our community thinks it would go right now. So uh, another just roughly 40%, just under 40% are on the fence. They basically want to see more information. And then we only had 20% of the people who, who uh, answered the survey said that it, they didn't think it would it would be approved. So, so real like quick, those talking about those numbers, uh, those are great numbers, fantastic numbers. How do you get that, I guess I'll say that 11% um, for, the, for the yes side? How do you... How do you, as a superintendent of the district, get that 11%? Well, I, I can't do it alone, you know, first. So so it needs, we need other people to help. And uh, and we think that we can get, we can get people uh, energized uh, around this if we make sure they're getting information that they need. So, uh, so that's, that's what we're starting to do. Uh, we're going to um, have to, you know, th- there will be, Probably, in all likelihood, be an organization formed uh, that will just be responsible for that, and uh, that will be that will be community members. I mean, the board doesn't create that that group; they cannot, um, and I, and I cannot lead that group. That's a group of community members who have to um, get behind that and decide to take a leadership role, and uh, and pick up that torch and carry it and and deliver those votes. So we will certainly provide all the information we can. As a school, we can't campaign one way or the other, but we do want everybody to have the information they need to make a, the best decision that they think they can make for our, for our students. So, uh, so that's, that's the plan moving forward. And uh, the architects are working on more information, um, drawings, uh, renderings of what the buildings would look like, that kind of thing coming up in the future. Awesome. So we're talking, obviously, on the bond proposal, kind of want to switch gears a little bit. Still on the school district side of things, bus drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big problem right now. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of frustration with parents, obviously yeah. frustration with you. Um, you know, being able to get kids to and from, or I should say, from school to home currently, I know that I've received messages as well about the cat bus, right, running an hour behind or or maybe a little bit more. So how how is the district trying to combat that moving forward? So um, the board approved a pay increase for our bus drivers. We, we provide an incentive uh, payment after they complete their training, get their certification. They work for uh, 30 days. They get a, a, an incentive payment. And, we, and this actually has worked. I mean, we have three people in the pipeline right now. I think two of them just started this week. Uh, you've not had any interruptions so far this week. I can't guarantee that uh, for the cab bus, um, but we're close. So that's a good start. But that's really just just getting us at the point where uh, we're we're making it every day, 
And so we need substitute bus drivers. We need more people to be able to to acquire this this training and have this skill so we can have some people to lean on uh, when people have things that come up and they can't come to work. We have a, we have such a bus drivers are so dedicated. You know, it's a, it's a crazy job. You get up early in the morning, you have, uh, you know, two and a half hours of work, then you're done. And then you got to come back in the afternoon and do it again. So it's really a unique group of people that can even do it uh, and fit it in their schedule. And uh, we're just, I'm just really proud of the people that we have that come in and do this work and they care about kids and, uh, and want to, you know, want to provide the best service we can. Obviously, school buses are the safest vehicle your children can ride in. We want to provide that opportunity. Uh, we talked about school uh, school of choice. You know, I think there's opportunity, um, and, and we're not driving into districts to pick to pick students up. But there are there are locations where we have we struggle to get a bus to, uh, just because we don't have enough drivers and we've reduced runs to the to the extent that we have. So uh, we need to solve that. Uh, one of the worst. One of the I struggle. I really struggle with recording that phone message to parents that we can't uh, get their kids home on time. Worse yet is when uh, we, we can't pick them up on time. So uh, I, I feel I feel that. Um, I record that. I don't use the auto message for a reason. Um, I, I feel like you deserve to hear that from from me directly. And we're working to get those bus drivers in place when our Make sure everywhere we go, we share with people, like the cost of that training is covered. You do not have to go out and pay to get a CDL and then come in and we'll teach you how to drive a bus. We'll, we'll get you the CDLB and then the endorsements on top of that to be able to drive a bus. Uh, we just really would appreciate, you know, just sharing that. The solution to this problem is in our community. People don't commute from Saginaw to drive bus uh, in Cairo. The, the solution's in our community. So we really need people to uh, to consider whether it's something that they could do, even on a substitute basis. Uh, if more so, there's opportunity for that as well. Well, I always hear, you know, I'm always about the community, about the community, and I'll be the first to say this to those individuals that are listening. If you want to help your community, you're going to have to step up. And this is a great example of stepping up within your community to help if you're able to in situations such as this. So, uh, thank you for that, George. So um, on to, uh, the, I guess we'll say a little bit of the next topic. You, you know, we talk about recorded messages and such. Um, let's let's talk about the safety and well-being of the students while we're here on a daily basis. Um, I know myself as a parent, I've received, you know, those messages where you go, mm-hmm. oh, man, there's some incidents at the school. Yeah. You know, let's go through, um, I guess we'll say a, a little bit of the protocol that you have on your end mm-hmm. that is taken care of. Obviously, these parents, and I say these parents, us parents, myself included, you know, we're not going to be able to understand all details involved, but we do get a, a message or we get a phone call, whatever it may be, but kind of walk us through those steps and protocols when it comes down to a, I guess I'll say a dangerous situation for the, for the district and for the kids at hand. So first, uh, my, my, my philosophy is transparency, and so we send a notif we send a notification home with the the probably and a threshold that every other district that not all districts do, uh, because if if it if students are saying this and and uh, other students hear 
and they know about this, they're going to take this home. And so we want you to know that we're aware of it, that we are engaged with the law enforcement officers and they're investigating. It's outside of the school day. So a lot of this work we can't do. Uh, every single every single incident uh, so far this year, uh, you know, has happened after school. We find out about it after school. So that's why you get the communication you get after school. I've had some criticism, some feedback from parents, and I get it. You know, the, the question is, well, why are we finding out, you know, it's 7 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock at night? I want to know when my kid's in school and, and this, is, this is coming down. Uh, that's because we don't know until after school. And so if we don't know until after school, we contact the police. They complete interviews. We have to confirm that it happened. Um, and, or, and in some cases, you know, we're not sure it happened. But what, what we know is there's information out there among our students that something happened. So we want, we want you to know that we know and that police are involved in an investigation. Uh, and then, you know, if, so, so let me go to the other situation. Let's say it happened during the school day and we implemented any kind of security measure, uh, a secure mode where we're, we're just, there's basically, that means a threat outside of the, outside of the building um, that, we're, that we're aware of or, or investigating. You guys will know. I mean, we'll we'll let families know when we implement a secure mode. You get a notification before we do drills because I don't want parents, I don't want students to be in a room, not, you know, maybe, maybe not sure what's going on. They're told it's a drill, but if our families don't know, then that just creates absolute panic and and we don't want that situation. So you get a heads up before we do a lockdown drill. Um, And if if something were to happen during the school day, you'd get notification whenever we implemented any security measure. Um, so the reason that you found out, you know, that we've, we've given those late in the evening, I want to get the information from the police. We also have individuals who we may uh, suspect being involved who are home with their families. I don't want to get my communication ahead of the police officer's investigation. So some of these things just take time. Uh, but it, in all of the things that have happened this year, thank God, you know, have not been a threat an immediate threat to student safety. So, so we've, we've been fortunate in that respect. And that's a big positive. And I appreciate you just shining a light on that because most, most parents are wondering the why question, right? Uh, why so late at night? Why, why not right away? Well, that's, that's the reason why, because it may not be during school time. So, uh, George, I don't want to take up a bunch of your time, but the one last question I want to ask you, because, uh, I'm a busy guy too, and I know you are, I got to get going here shortly, but what is one thing that you could tell not only our community, our parents, and our kids about Caro schools? I, w- I wish people, I wish people could walk with me up for a day and see uh, just how many great things are happening here. <clears throat> and and it's and it's not it's not always winning an award every day. It's just kids being great to to kids. Um, staff being great to kids, uh, you know, taking extra steps, doing extra things for people. Uh, and, and when I say staff, I mean, I mean staff, like uh, food service, our food service employees, what they do for our students uh, and the extra steps they take, bus drivers. Um, but th- that's, that's what really, that's what I love. That's what I love about what I do. It is a privilege 
nobody else gets to do that. I get to go from building to building and just see how much people care about uh, about our students and making sure that uh, that they're safe, uh, that they're stretched, you know, and challenged um, and supported. So uh, that that to me is just the greatest thing. It's, it's something that only I get to see. So I love to share with people, you know, all the things I get to see in my day. They're just great human interactions that happen in this school district between people of all ages, all walks of life, uh, all professional backgrounds. And, and that's just, that's that makes it a, a special place. Well, George, I want to thank you for your time uh, tonight. Um, and thank you for your time as, as superintendent here at the school districts very much. I know that uh, you have a very tall task at hand and in just not just every day, but, you know, every minute, every every hour you you are you're responsible for so much here. Um, I'm going to tell you, I appreciate it uh, very much. So thank thank you very much uh, for myself, Chris Wilcox, for Superintendent George Ryerson. Uh, you listen to the Prowl podcast. Thanks.